Good evening. I'm going to say hello to everyone who's watching online because you might be a better audience this evening. <clears throat> uh, great. For those of you who aren't watching online, um, we're going to take up an offering now because in all the excitement of Andrew talking about money, he forgot to actually receive the money that you wanted to give. Um, <clears throat> so uh, baskets are going to come around. If you're not familiar with what we're doing right here and it feels uncomfortable to you, just allow the baskets to pass you by. It's part of our regular worship. A lot of our people gathered here will pay by standing order, but if, uh, if you do want to make a contribution through the baskets, that's going to happen now. We're in a sermon series called In His Image. We believe that you were made in the image of God. He made you. And we're looking at a couple of verses that, um, where God reveals to a man called Moses who he is and explains who God is. Because when we understand who God is, if we're made in his image, we understand a bit more about our life. And, and that's hopefully what we're going to look at today. Uh, and we're looking today specifically at abounding in love and faithfulness. Why don't you say that to the person next to you? So this is it's quite timely. Uh, most of you will know that it was Valentine's Day on Thursday. Uh, we've got a little selfie of Valentine himself right now. There you go. You know he was a good guy because of how he holds his f- finger and thumb. Look at that. It's so, so priestly. Um, so na- Valentine's named after a, a priest from the third century, I think, who promoted Christianity and marriage at a time when the Romans were persecuting Christians and trying to stop Marriage. So, whether you're in a relationship or not, if you've stood up for something that's important to God or important to you this week, well, happy Valentine's. Well done. If you are in a relationship, I hope you made a much better job of this Thursday than I made of my very first Valentine's in a proper relationship. Um, I had arranged ahead of time to take my girlfriend to see Les Mis in London. I know. Uh, So, I was traveling down from Manchester, going to go and see her before the show in Cambridge. Uh, uh, but the problem is, Piccadilly Station, I missed my train. The next train was an hour wait. So, a quick text, sorry, it might be a bit later. Uh, so I thought, oh, well, I need to go to the post office, I've got an hour to kill, I need to sort some national insurance stuff out, I'll get the free bus from the train station and go and do that. So I did. Uh, longer queues at the post office meant I missed the next train. <laughs> Happy Valentine's. So I, th- I thought, right, I've got an hour till the next train. I'm going to stay in this station. Piccadilly's a big station, though. Uh, so I went to the card shop. I think it was Clinton's, but there, there were other shops available. Um, and I, I had started to try and decide which card to get my girlfriend. I'm thinking, we've just been going out for three months. Do I go funny, quirky, hey, light and lighthearted? Or do I go serious, lovey? Funny, quirky, serious, lovey. That's a bit too much. That's a bit too silly. And there were, anyway, I missed the third train. <laughs> I know. What an idiot. Three hours of trains I missed. And every time I got onto the platform, the guy on the platform just looked at me as if to say, You loser. <laughs> I couldn't believe, because it's the same man over like two hours or whatever it was. Um, and then it's, in the end, he just said, Look, get this train to there, that train to there, blah, blah, blah. Um, What happened in the end was uh, my girlfriend had to meet me at the station rather than me going to her place. And so I sat in some very cheap seats in Les Mis, high up, with all my bags on my knees. My girlfriend had bags on her knees. It was ridiculous. It was not a happy Valentine's. But she did marry me in the end. (laughs) 
Well done, Karis. Um, so I share that story as a way of highlighting that our experiences of love mean that we don't come to a conversation about love neutral. I know that's maybe a trivial example, but all of us will have experiences in our lives of relationships that were amazing or relationships where we knew and felt love in a real clear way. But many of us will have relationships or situations or circumstances in our lives where love was tainted, love was uh, abusive, all the, the people who were supposed to show us kindness and care and it, it didn't happen. We don't come to a conversation about love neutrally. So I could tell you tonight that God is abounding in love and faithfulness, but we need to bring a little bit of clarity to that. Our experience can hinder our understanding of love. Experiences influence expectation. So you may have had some positive experience and therefore you have an expectation of positive experiences. But if your experiences have been negative, it might be that your expectation is the same. And I, I think that God wants to raise the expectation in your life tonight. He wants to raise expectation as, as we redefine a God of love uh, through the stories that we've been through. So our experiences can hinder our understanding of love, but also the world's understanding and the way the world communicates about love can hinder our understanding of love as well. Uh, so we're going to take a look at some perspectives on love through the world of music with a little quiz. You're so generous with your responses. Uh, so I'm gonna, there's going to be some lyrics on the screen with some gaps in them. You, I want you to see if you can finish the, the lyrics, fill the gaps. Uh, if you can't, just whisper to the person next to you your best funny version of it. Okay, can we have the first one, please, James? Baby, you're all that I want. When you're lying here in my arms, I'm finding it hard to believe. We're in heaven or you've fallen asleep again. What is it? Let's have a look. We're in heaven, well done, congratulations. Next one. I hope you don't mind that I put down in words how <clears throat> life is while you're in the world. Any takers? Wonderful, let's see. Ding! I should have put a ding on there. Great. And I'd give up forever to touch you because I know that you feel me somehow. You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be and I don't want to share my Maltesers. Lose you now, go home. Go home right now, let's have a little look. Go home right now, come on the Goo Goo Dolls fans. Great, let's have some more, shall we? Because all of me loves all of you, love your something and all your something, all your perfect imperfections. Do you know how many views this song has on YouTube? 1.4 billion. Why did I not write this song? Um, anyone know the answer? Curves and edges, well done, Cowling, come on. <laughs> Rachel Cowling is a John Legend fan, that is good news. <laughs> something in the way, something, attracts me like no other lover, something in the way she woos me. Anyone? She moves, thank you very much, there you go, correct, well done. Is that all we've got? Is that the quiz over? Oh. Back to the Bible! Great, great. So generally, our understanding of love can, can revolve around our experiences or, or our desires satisfied. The world talks about a love, like you made me feel like I'm in heaven. I don't want to give up this experience. There's something precious. But actually, love is a little bit more 
there are all sorts of different kinds of love. There's a great book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Four Loves. It's, pretty, it's quite an easy read, but it's a really helpful read. It's quite thin, so I find it useful. Um, and C.S. Lewis shares a distinction in his book, The Four Loves, about need love and gift love. There's need love and gift love. Need love is the, is the love that a runner might express about a glass of water. Oh, I so love a glass of water right now. Because you need a glass of water. But that's a love that isn't solid, it isn't reliable. You wouldn't be encouraged by that love if you were a glass of water. That's not something you can build your life upon. C.S. Lewis notes when he's talking about eros, this desire love, he notes that we can think very differently about the smell of fried food before and after breakfast. Ooh, I would love a bacon sandwich. Oh, I couldn't eat another thing. We're not talking about a love that is about a need or about a desire. We're talking about a love that is a gift love. When we're talking about God's love, it is a gift. It is self-resourcing. It is bold resolve given without condition. This is the love that the Bible speaks of in association to Jesus and God. So we'll start with our first verse. This is the verse that just explains. This is how we know what love is. And it's from 1 John 3.16. Thanks, James. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is, because Jesus came and he gave his life. That's not pop song love, that is like, I will die for you, love. This is how we know what love is. Love is a giving of oneself for another. This is the gift love. It's a resolve rather than a feeling that we depend on. You don't hear many love songs about the 24-hour care of an elderly person or the love in action a parent gives over decades to a child with acute additional needs. A determined resolve love. This is an abounding in love and faithfulness, God. A laying down of all that you might otherwise feel. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus did what felt agony for us. It's a relentless love. Another verse to help us on the screen, 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, for all our mess. If you don't have a relationship with God tonight, the good news is you can have one, not if you earn it, not if you can be good enough, but because he sent his son as a sacrifice for all our mess. It's good news. It's good news of a God who loves. So we've established that God's love is gift love. It is this agape, unconditional, self-sourcing. It doesn't depend on how cool you are. It doesn't depend on how you voted in the referendum. It doesn't depend on whether you've been nice to your friends this week. It is just love, relentlessly at you, for you, from God. So why aren't we all walking around with an amazing awareness of how loved we are? Why isn't it impacting our expectations about all of our life? Well, again, because our experience on earth is broken and painful. And I want to say tonight that it's often it's less than God planned. And we, God can get caught up in our experiences and we can lose expectation of a God who loves us because we go through difficult times. I, uh, I grew up in Salford, up in Manchester. Nope, no, okay. Uh, and uh, moving away from Salford, I realized that actually it is quite a rainy place. Manchester is quite cloudy. Uh, my parents still live up there, so now and again I have to call them and just say, remember, there is a sun. It will shine again. 
it will shine again. And sometimes that's our experience of God. We can forget that there's a God who loves us because our, our situation or our circumstance clouds stuff out. And that's why we need each other. And I'll come back to that in a bit because actually we experience the love of God together. Sometimes we need to remind people in Manchester that there is a sun. It's less than God planned. Uh, I had a bit of a, 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 tr- a messy situation uh, yesterday that might help us uh, with this. I've got um, three children and one on the way. Uh, and uh, I've got a daughter who's toddling about. And they were all playing in the back garden yesterday. I had shut the gate, locked it, made sure that Amy couldn't open it. Uh, and, and I noticed at one point two of my kids playing about and the other one wasn't. She was at the side and I was like, where's Amy? I'm looking for Amy. Ben, where's Amy? I don't know. Ben, did you open the gate? Yes. At which point I panic because I'm thinking, how long has it been? How far has Amy got? Is she on the M5? She's nearly, no, she's not even two yet. So she's just toddling about. Anyway, I find her on the road with a push, this little pushchair-like thing that she's riding on in front of a 4x4 four four, out in front of my garden. And I was freaking out. That was not my pl- plan. So, so the, the people driving the car, they were just kind of getting out to try and remove this toddler from the... It was, I'm sorry, Karis, if you're watching this online. I'm so sorry I am. Um, they, they might have had a perspective on my love that is limited. It's limited because they're experiencing what's happened, but they don't know that I've put some boundaries in. And, and there are certain boundaries that God has put in place in this world because he loves us. And there are times when we stick to those boundaries and there are times when we don't stick to those boundaries. And there's people around you who stick to those boundaries. And then there's three-year-old Bens who open the gate and don't think about the consequences of it. And for some of you, someone else opened the gate and you got stuck in the middle of a road. And you could say, well, my father in heaven doesn't love me. And I wanna say that he does. And we could define our life through our experiences and we could miss out on a God who loves us. Or we could define and say that we have a God who loves us and filter our experiences through this. But there's stuff that gets in the way. How, how about these? I've had conversations with people all the time who are trying to grapple with a God who loves. How can, how can God be loved when so much bad stuff has happened in my life? How could God love me when I've done so much bad stuff in my life? I don't like me. How could God love me? Everyone around me treats me bad. Why should God be any different? I've been let down by claims of love before. Why should I trust God? Maybe you're hearing your own voice in this. Christians are broken and messy people who have hurt me. I don't want to know their God. There's a guy called Tim Keller, a pastor and theologian from a church in in New York. And he speaks about the, the, the love of God and our experiences that may appear to the, to the contrary. In, an, in, a, in a message unpacking uh, from a, a verse in Isaiah, some verses in Isaiah. Isaiah was writing at a time long before Jesus uh, had, had come to earth and died. He's writing at a time when things were really messy for God's people. They were living in exile and felt like God had left them, forsaken them, and abandoned them. And maybe that has been your experience. We're going to watch a clip in just a second. And I want you to... Uh, it, it might be that God is going to bring life to you again as you reflect on some of your experiences and remember that there's a God who never forsakes you. Powerful, isn't it? God loves you. His love is for you and he's shown it in action. God's love for you is relentless. 
I want you to walk out of here this evening changing your mindset and expecting a God who loves you. It's a love that is action. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. But before Jesus had died on the cross for us and before God spoke to the people of Israel in Isaiah, we have the context for this verse that we're looking at today that Tim was unpacking two weeks ago and Andrew was unpacking last week. We have the situation where God's people are wandering in the desert, holding to a promise that God has a plan for them, he has a place for them, he has a purpose for them. He's taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Unfortunately, they have this history of being slaves in Egypt. That's where they're coming from, under Pharaoh. They're effectively refugees, a people on the move, seeking refuge, looking for a home. They're moving from Pharaoh to freedom. That's where they're moving from, from Pharaoh to freedom. Now, most of us would look at that and go, amazing, great. You've been slaves for hundreds of years, and now you're free. But actually, it's not straightforward. Freedom is a good thing. But if you've been a slave for a long time and all you've known is a life controlled by a cruel king, you're going to find change hard and freedom challenging. And that's the context of this passage. Moses is trying to lead a bunch of people who grew up as slaves to slave parents. God wants them to to be ready to make healthy decisions in a new place, healthy decisions in, in a free place, dependent on him in healthy connectedness. And this is our journey today. Whatever your experiences have been, whether it's felt like slavery or whatever, God is moving us to a place where we're not living in a relationship where we're controlled, but we're living in a relationship where we're connected. From Pharaoh to freedom, and from controlled to connected. We're connected with a God who loves you. So why is this important? Well, when you know God loves you, it begins to rescue you from beliefs and patterns of behaviors that you might otherwise expect. If you've resigned yourself to saying, well, I'm not that lovely. When not lovely stuff happens to you, you kind of accept it. And maybe you don't expect stuff to to happen to you that you would imagine happening to someone who is loved. But when you know that you are made by the God of the universe and loved, it changes how we view things. So we see in this passage, we're going to read some of it now. Moses needs the confidence for the way ahead. If we could have that on the screen, thanks, James. So this is God passing in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the, this is him saying this is his name, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed down in response to this, to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. His response to this is, I want to go with you. Hearing you say who you are, I want you to go with us wherever you're going. Although this is a stiff-necked people, he says, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you, a promise Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you. And then he lists the people who are living in this land that God has promised. The Amorites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be a snare among you. 
break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. So not only are they being moved from a place of slavery where their days are defined by the work someone else is forcing them to do, but they're going into a place where they're going to have to contend for healthy life and a healthy lifestyle. And in the middle of it, God says, I want to reveal to you who I am. I am abounding in love. So much so that Moses says, well, I want, I want, to go, I want you to go with us. So my question for you this evening is, where is God calling you from? What are your experiences that you've had? Where is God calling you from? And what is God calling you to? Because if we can redefine, if we can grab hold of a God who is abounding in love and faithfulness, then the call to go and make a difference in your spheres of influence is dramatically shaped. I'm just going to ask Rachel to come up. Uh, I was chatting with some of the people in our office and anyone I could find, really, this week, and just asking them about their first experience. Come on up, Rachel. Um, what your first experience of God's love was. Rachel, what was your ex- first experience of God's love? Um, on the Alpha course, on the uh, weekend away, um, I, I didn't want to do Alpha at all. Um, and I went and um, God really sort of love-bombed me. Love bombed you. What does that look like? Oh, it was lovely. <laughs> okay, so l- l- uh, just track back. Um, y- have you grown up in a Christian home? Did you, have you known God a, lo- a long time? When is this? Um, my, well, I used to go to church with my parents, um, and then I went to boarding school when I was eight, and we did all the whole chapel thing. Um, but I didn't really have much of a connection until I went to HTB when I was... Uh, in 1989, I can't, remember, I can't work it out. Okay. Um, but I, I sort of walked away because I was dealing with a huge pain. Um, I wanted children. That's all I wanted. If you'd asked me where, when I was a little girl what I wanted, I said I'd want to be a mummy. Um, and then I found out I couldn't have children, so that was you know that was big. And I just thought, God. If you're really there, why have you done this to me? You know, it was all very self-centered, really. Um, and then I got dragged to Alpha, and it was the weekend away. And God, I, I couldn't even talk about not being able to have children. If, if someone asked me, do you have children? I'd say, I have a dog. And when my dog died, I said, I had a dog. Um, but God took, I didn't even ask God to, I, he just took that pain away from me totally. I mean, so much so that I thought I was going mad because I kept waking up singing and, and um, I thought, <laughs> the, I don't know what I thought, but it was extraordinary. And he took all that pain away and... And, w- and what did that look like? Because there was a lot of crying involved. Yeah, I cried a lot. I, on, I mean, it was embarrassing. On the Sunday at Alpha, I started crying, I think, after breakfast. I was still crying at the baptisms. Then a guy on Alpha took me to the pub, and then I was still crying in the pub. And I cried all through the night, and then I woke up singing Shine, Jesus, Shine, I think. (laughs) No, I mean, it was just like... And then I wrote some epistle to uh, Gareth, Mark, and Tim about just how marvellous God is, and they probably have got something there after all, you know. 
Amazing. So you had some experiences, experiences of life that, were, that made connection with God very difficult. And then you encountered God. And, and you, would, you would say that there was such a relief of the grief in a way that you hadn't been able to, to do before. Uh, and from then on, how has the love of God changed your life since well, it's just extraordinary. I mean, I've, I, when you're told something big like you can't have children you, and then you pray, God, I want a family. I mean, how, how is that going to look? Um, but I stand here now with three stepdaughters and ten grandchildren. You know, I mean, that's what God does. He restores and redeems and makes it. He does. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. Isn't that a powerful story of how experiences can hold us back in our relationship with God? And what God wants to do is meet us in the places of pain and help redefine. I'm going to read one more passage. It's from Romans 8, 38. And then we're going to do some praying. Do you know what? I'm not going to read that one. I'm going to read an Ephesians one. So sorry. Ephesians 3, 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches... Do read that one, by the way. Romans 8, 38 is good. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. It may be that your experience of love so far in life hasn't led you easily to comprehending Christ's love. So it might be that the prayer tonight is, God, would you so root me and establish me in loving relationships where I can experience your love that will be rooted. And that's why I love this passage, and I mentioned it earlier when talking about Manchester. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. We have to experience God's love as a people because there'll be times when your life is cloudy and you can't see the sun, but someone else is giving thanks to God for something else that's going on and is able to see a God who loves with clarity. There's a guy called John. He wrote a gospel. It's the story of of Jesus' life. And all the way through it, he refers to himself in what happened in those times with Jesus as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself. I would love for all of you to walk from this place going, I am the disciple. I'm the one who follows Jesus and he loves me. And he loves me. But it might be that there's some history that you have where you didn't know that love. Or the stuff that you've gone through and you don't know what God's love looked like. I think God wants to minister into that. So that you can say, even in that moment, I was the disciple that Jesus loved. And I don't say that tritely. Because actually, some of that might take a whole lot of grieving and a whole lot of pain. But I believe that there's a God who loves you. His love is abounding. And he is faithful. And he can hold that. Amen? Amen. If you're able to, can we stand? I'm going to invite the band back.